How does the nature of God teach us how to minister? That might sound complicated, but it's not. And what I really want to look at is how does like looking at God, who he is, his nature, teach us about what, what we should do with our hands, with our heart? How does looking at God and, and his kingdom and his nature tell us why we hurt or why we suffer at times or why does it seem to take forever for things to happen sometimes? What is God's overarching story from the Old Testament into the New? Uh, tell us about what he's doing today and hopefully I can answer some of these questions. So when I say minister, I mean not, you know, old man minister, I mean the, the practice of what we know about God. When we minister to our friend at school and, and pray for them or, or when, we, um, when I minister to, to my youth boys at youth group or Whatever your ministry is, whatever that looks like, that's what I mean by minister. And I'm hoping that this message today can encourage and challenge those of you who are wanting to step up in your faith, those of you who are wanting to to start getting active in what, what God's doing in your heart and your life. So the first thing, I, the question I want to answer is why? Why minister? You know, why should I minister to another human being? It might, might seem sound simple, but... I think there's more to it, you know. Why can't I just escape to the bush and live in a tent and worship God for the rest of my life with acoustic guitar? What, why is that not, not good enough? You know, why, and I don't mean why, like as in because, you know, God says make disciples, but, but what puts value in the person standing before me? You know, sometimes it, someone standing before you may add no value to society, to, to his or her family, or even to the world. You know, what makes the human special? Why, why are we called to love that person? You know, what, is, what is the reason ultimately why one Christian should concern himself about the life and the needs of another human being? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? You know, I, re- I read this story of this guy who pulled up to a stoplight one time and and as he pulled up there, he, he kind of looked around and he noticed a few things. He, on his left, he noticed that there's this big semi-trailer. It was probably tens of th- oh, hundreds of thousand dollar kind of semi-trailer. It had a big cargo on it, lots of stuff, carrying maybe millions of dollars worth of cargo. He looked on his right and there was this awesome looking shiny Cadillac. looked great. Then he... Uh, he looked around at all four corners of this intersection and he noticed kind of millions of dollars worth of property and, and business. And he noticed all that, but then he noticed limping across the street in front of all of them was this crippled, old, in his eyes, worthless looking woman. She had ripped and dirty clothes on her mouth, was slightly drooping to the side and she dragged one foot behind the other as if she'd had a stroke previously. And she continued across the street and a question kind of struck his mind and and this question might be seen confronting or even evil to to some people but it's a question that we we ask ourselves all the time in ministry concerning a person in front of us. We, we, we We make judgments and we value people in front of us. He thought, 
If I was speeding up to this intersection and my brakes failed, which of these various objects would I choose to destroy? You know, would I veer into the semi-trailer and and kind of damage that and and possibly my own car and even my own life? Would I veer into this priceless Cadillac or or would I I veer into one of these multi-million dollar properties that that have so much going on there? He says as the light changed he knew instinctively what his answer would be. Without even debating he knew that he would avoid the woman at all costs whether it meant causing thousands of dollars of damage or even damage to himself. Now, it might seem obvious, uh, but, but we've all asked ourselves that question on a regular basis when we go about our lives, asking ourselves, you know, why do I have to, to do this, God? Why do I have to sacrifice my space, my time, my stuff for this person, for this ministry? You know, why do I have to speak to this person, God? Or, or why this person? Or why that ministry? Now, why do I have to sacrifice for this? See, the man realised that his decision could not be based on, on aesthetics because, you know, there's nothing pleasing about, about this woman to the eye he looked at. It, it could have been about usefulness. It's from a quick judgement, you know, the truck beside him was, was so useful in what it was doing. These businesses were useful in what they were doing. The decision couldn't have been related to the, the economic value. So everything around him was much more economically valuable than this woman. He finally realised that his reasoning was a religious one. A reasoning that most Western civilization has been founded on. Is that God singled out man to be the prime of his creation. We see in Genesis 1, if you want to turn with me. We see Genesis chapter 1 verse, verse 26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And down to verse 31 it says, God saw all that he made and it was what? Very good. God exclaimed that man was very good and that had authority over all of creation. See, the ultimate reason for saving that woman, was that God had declared her human value to be greater than, his, uh, than any other object that was merely material. See, I've got this coin in the back of my pocket. It's a $2 coin. And the human value is, is, is kind of like this $2 coin, right? This, the value of this coin is what? $2. But if you melt it down, maybe Tim, what's, the, what's in the two dollar coin? A bit of, bit of copper, a bit of, a few, few different uh, metals to make this coin, right? If you melted it down, there'd be a metal value, right? And because um, you know it costs the metals and things goes up and down, I, I did a bit of research, and um, in 2012, right, 
the metal value of this, this $2 coin. Who can guess how much the metal worth in this $2 coin is? Ten cents? Lower. Higher. <laughs> Somewhat. Around five cents, right? It was 4.82 cents, the metal value of this $2 coin. The, the, the metal value, if you melt it down a $1 coin, right? Which is a bit bigger. Our coins are so weird, aren't they? The sizes. Um, its metal value would be around 6.58 cents. So a bit more than what a $2 coin's worth. And a 50 cent coin, right, if you melted it down, its metal value is worth about 15.53 cents, the most expensive coin in its metal value. So obviously the value, right, isn't in the metal itself. But it has worth because it is declared valuable by the Australian Mint and the Treasury Department or whoever, someone decided that this is worth $2. It's declared valuable. In the same way, man and woman are declared valuable because God says that you guys are valuable. God says you are valuable. You are the prime of creation. Now, some people, some secular people might say that helping someone out is good for society because it might make you feel better and you can help someone become something useful in society. But anyone who's, who's been in ministry or, or a Christian long enough knows that it's not always easy. Some people don't, don't get better. Sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it doesn't make us feel better doing ministry or, or loving someone. But we minister because it is important to God and that he put value in the people before us. That's why we minister. Every person is here because God called them out of nothing into something. So every person here tonight is valuable because God declares you valuable. That is why we minister. That is why that person in front of you is important to minister to. So that is the why... How do we go about ministering? When we look at the nature of God, who he is, his story over Old Testament into New, how do we go about ministering? And there's so many different ways we can minister, right? And our church, he has lots of different ministries, but I'm talking about how do you go about your life ministering to people? And I want to talk about more of a principle. So let me ask you a question. So there's God, right? Yeah, okay. Um, on the right track. So there's God, and within God there's, there's three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that's called the Trinity. So before time, God, as in the Trinity, has been around, and God has always been in relationship with himself. That's a bit weird, but that's what the Trinity is. So, so within God, before time, was totally and utterly satisfied within himself, needed everything he needed. He was, that is why relationship is important to God because God is relationship, that each person of the Trinity submit to one another and love one another, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. So within, so within this Trinity, right, does God need anything? He doesn't. God doesn't need anything because he's fully satisfied within himself. 
So did he need to look after the Israelites in the desert? No, he didn't. Did he need to allow Jesus to go to the cross? Well, it's kind of a tricky one, but in the end, no. He didn't need to do that. He chose to do that out of love. No, so if God doesn't need anything, and, and every, then everything and anything that he gives is out of what? Love. Not out of need. So how we minister is out of this, this giving, this gift of love. Because, um, because of this, we must understand that Christian ministry is all about the act of giving and sharing positively rather than this acquiring negatively. And it's hard because much of our ministry often, like in churches, is we try and create a program and invite people to come. And, but we've got to be constantly, as, as leaders, evaluating and thinking, and how is this reaching out? How is this giving a gift of God to these people? And as you go about your life ministering and loving people, how are you giving of yourself, giving this gift of love? You know, mankind has always had trouble comprehending this positive sort of love because the truth is our experience of love has, has often been more associated with needfulness than fullness. You know, we often love because we lack something and, and that we see in another object. You know, if anyone here has, has truly loved someone, and I'm not just talking about romantic love, I'm talking about family, friends. You, you, you understand that love is, you, you begin to just want to serve this person in front of you. Like I've got nieces and, and I just love them and I'll, I'll serve them forever and I'll wipe their snotty noses and I won't wipe all your snotty noses, but I'll, I'll wipe their snotty noses. And, and you just, when you love someone, you want to serve them and you want to give them that gift of love. And I totally understand as you know, a younger um, single guy that I don't have this fully wrapped up in my head and there's people here that have been married longer than I have and can kind of understand that. <laughs> and so I never try and preach something I don't know and that's why I, like, I love chatting to, to older people that have been on the journey longer than me and, and I know in, in my experience of that, that, that love is sacrificial and you look at... First Corinthians chapter 13, it's, it's selfless and it's just God's love. You know, that's why God's love is so overwhelming. You know, I, I don't know if any of you guys have experienced God's love in some sort of tangible or knowing way and you just, you feel overwhelmed by it, right? And you just feel like, man, this is, this is too much, like I'm, I'm nothing God and, and you're just getting this gift of love on you and it drops you to your knees and you go through these emotions of kind of sorrow of, of why me, but then just complete joy and happiness because you've been given this gift of love. But love is also scary. And sometimes we're so scared to love because we feel like we've got nothing to offer that, that person or, or even we come to God scared of love because we feel so incomplete and, and that we can offer nothing to God, but God is like... I will give you this gift of love. You don't deserve it. You can do nothing but I will give you this gift of love. Not because I need anything, but I give it to you freely. It's in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. 
God's grace is a free gift. He gives it freely to us and he can, and give, he can give it to you tonight if you only accept it. Repent and believe in, God, in Jesus. So how do you do your ministry? Is it, is it, and I'm still talking about your ministry in your school, in your work, in church, wherever that is, whatever your ministry is. How do you do it? Is it, do you ever, do you do it to prove something or to fulfill your own needs or, or do you do it to kind of look better before God or, or to show others your good deeds? Is everything that you do out of this gift love, this giving love? John R. Claypool, which has kind of inspired this and is, is really great on this stuff, said, when I move toward another, I need to ask myself the question, whose needs am I really meeting? His or mine? Whose value am I trying to enhance? So he sees someone before him and he, and he says, if I'm going to love this person, am I doing this for them and a gift to them? And when I meet with someone, Christian or not, Am I going to add value to their lives and reconcile this person with their Heavenly Father? Will I add value to this person's life? If you want to turn to Matthew 5, there's this really cool um, part where Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He's talking about prayer and the Pharisees. And he says, so we're at 6.5, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who was unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How weird, like, do you notice that it says, Jesus says they have received their reward in full. What does that mean, right? How have they received their reward? And Jesus is kind of addressing this need love and this gift love. He's, He's kind of going, yep, you got it. You got what you wanted. You got your reward, you got it in full. You got what you needed, Pharisees. You got it. You wanted to be seen. You were doing your ministries on the street corners, standing up. You got your reward there. People think you're good. But you know what I want? Is I want sincere people that will pray in secret. That their hearts turn before me and they give me the gift of themselves and their sincere prayers. We all get our need and our value from God and we give from that place of fullness. You know, this is why I believe Jesus said in John 10, 10, you know, we all know this verse that says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It kind of gets used a lot, but see what the thief does? He just comes and he, and he steals and he takes and he destroys. See, this, this kind of thing is just need love, I just need, I'm going to take, take, take. That's what sin is, that's what the, the thief does, he just wants to take. But then Jesus comes in and says, I will give you life. And I will give you life to the full, I'll give you all I've got, I'll give you all my love. 
This is how we need to minister. Christ wants us to be full. And it's okay to seek that. And and that's also why I reckon you need to look after yourself because you can't give from a place that you don't have. Well, that's not full. But Christ does want us to be full so that we can give of ourselves generously and that's how we minister from this gift love. So we've talked about why, why we minister to that person before us and how we do that and the third and final thing is, is what, what is the goal of ministry? What's the goal of what we're doing? What's the point of our helping? You know, what are we trying to achieve and what are we actually doing in the grand scheme of things and in the kingdom of God? Is, how is helping someone across the street do anything in the kingdom of God? You know, once again, we look to God for the answers. We look to who he is, his nature and how he works and ministers. And it's clear um, through the scriptures, right? This is like really exciting for me when I kind of work through this. It's clear through the scriptures that God, God wants to bring the total creation to, to completeness and maturity. You know, he's at work offering salvation. He's at work offering redemption through Jesus and creating people to grow maturity and become like his son, Jesus. So our objective, right, is to align ourselves to his mission, to God's mission, The goal of ministry is to allow God to complete the work within us and to help him complete his mission. I get a bit frustrated sometimes when people talk about the heart and they say it's evil and they're quoting an Old Testament passage of a backward community that was leaving their love of God. But the word says that he will give us a new heart and a new mind and he's renewing it when we believe in Christ. And over time, our heart and our mind and our whole being become aligned with who God is. And I think if there's no point in your life when you you go up to God and you say, hey God, I've got this cool idea in my heart, man. What do you think? I really want to do this. And he goes, I like it, son. That's my heart. I think everybody needs to get to a point in their their faith and and, and have that conversation with God. And without that conversation, then I don't think you're fully growing in maturity because our our heart becomes aligned with God's heart. Our mind becomes aligned with God's mind. He's renewing it. He's transforming us from the inside out. I was preaching then and I got lost. So as he's doing all this stuff in us, he's aligning our heart with his... And he's aligning our mind with his, right? He's doing all this through process and through growth. And this is probably the most annoying part of the sermon where I talk about waiting on God and patience. You know, it seems that God loves the journey, right? It can become a bit cliche, but he really does. We see in the Old Testament, I get so annoyed. It's like, oh, they waited seven years and then wait another seven years and they waited 40 years or they waited seven years. I'm like, I can't wait three weeks for something. I don't know how they do it. Why does God work this way, right? Why does he do this? What's the point? You know, one way that we can fathom this is we do need to accept it. We need to acknowledge that how exceedingly important it is to realise that growth and development are God's way of working, not instant manufacturing. And I've realised this more and more over the last few years like I was only saying to, to the leaders the other day that I feel like as a youth pastor sometimes my only job is just to wait on God. 
Like it might not look like that, but I just feel like I spend my whole life waiting. Like waiting for this person, waiting for my heart, waiting for this ministry, waiting for that, waiting for whatever. And then I look back and I see all that God has done and all that God has achieved in, in my life, in the lives of the people that I've been journeying with. And I'm like, whoa, God, look what you've done. And all I feel like I've done is waited. Because God is working through process and development and, and growth. As frustrating as it is. So he did not create a world finished and intact from the beginning. Come back with me to Gen 1. We're going right to the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Such a cool image. He began this process. There's this formless world. And he starts to, to split the sea and the ocean and and then he gets man to, to tend the land and to grow and to water and, and work. We see simplicity as we go through the, the, the creation story. and We see simplicity to complexity. You know, the garden is quite simple. There's a small river and there's, there's a tree of life and of knowledge. And, and Adam and Eve, they're naked. They've got no clothes. It's, it's, it's simple. And then we go to the other end of the story in Revelation. Turn with me to, to chapters uh, 20, 21. All through Revelation we get this other picture now of this grand city coming down from heaven, right? So in Revelation uh, 22, verse 1 to 2 it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. So now it's a river it's gushing through and it's as clear as crystal. Now it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of, not a garden anymore, but of this great city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now there is a tree of life on both sides of this river bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So we get this rural setting of nakedness and simplicity and then the end of God's story and we get this city and it's coming down from heaven there's a gushing river going through the city now and it's of gold and, and there's fruit and there's, there's crops now and these leaves are healing. God is working through process and growth. See, because what God starts at the beginning is not what he wants at the end. I want you to write that down if you want. What God starts at the beginning is not what he wants at the end. We have to remember this. What, do you start, what has he started in you? Is it that inkling of love for that person you've struggled to love? Is it that you're starting to understand the scriptures? Are you, are you growing in grace? What is it? What has he started in you? Because he will finish it. Friends, he will finish it. I know it sucks right now, but, but God is doing something in your life. God is pushing you towards maturity. That is his heart, is to complete us, 
to grow us in maturity. He really, really, really wants to do that in your life. In ministry, we can't be overcome with not seeing the results we want. I'm preaching to myself here. People grow at God's pace for a reason. You know, the Israelites wandered in the desert. They weren't lost. (laughs) They wandered. God had to do something with them. He's working. Philippians 1.6, you know, it says, Being confident of this, that he who begun a good work in, in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish this good work in you. God will finish the good work. Don't give up. He will finish it. Please don't be dismayed or discouraged by the incompleteness of, in your life. He wants to finish it. And we see this great example of this in the, in the prodigal son. I'm going to finish on this story. It's in, it's in chapter, it's Luke 15 if you want to follow along. But, but this story of this prodigal son, you might know it. We get this, this paradigm of what God is trying to tell us. See, we get this graphic description of a man coming to age, growing in maturity. Now, he, he moves through various stages of incompleteness toward the goal of maturity. So we get this boy, he's quite immature, uh, he's the, the youngest son, he's got all these grand ideas and he wants to do everything his own way and he goes to the father and he says, look dad, I want my share of the inheritance right now. And maybe he didn't know what he was saying, it might have been in his immaturity but he's saying to his dad, I'd rather you be dead because that Generally what happened was the, the son would get their inheritance once the father died. So maybe in his immaturity he might have not even realised, he didn't care, he just said, give me my money now, Dad, I want to go do my own thing. And he goes off into this place called the faraway land. He starts to spend his money on wild living and cool things and he, and he just keeps going time after time, just his own desires, his own flesh, doing his own thing, not stopping to think. Much, much like us in our immaturity in our early days of our faith and he, and he does his own thing and he realises at one point that he's messed up. He realises his dad was right but, but his dad knew that he had to let him go. He, he taught him all that he could teach and he had to let him go and hand him over to the world to experience life. And the boy starts to think, man, like I'll go back but if only I could just be as worthy as, as a slave. I'll be happy. If only I'm, I'm as worthy as the slave. If he treats me like that, I'll be, I'll be happy. You're just wanting to bring me back. And it's so interesting, right, that, that after everything he'd been through and he'd learned and all the lessons that he had, had he'd learned, he wanted to go back to infancy. He thought, I'll come back and I'll just be like a child. I've learned all this stuff, but I'll just come back and I'll be immature you know it's so true of us today like you got those kind of roadblocks in life they might be really big ones they might be little ones and we're just decisions we've got to make and we can make a choice to to grow in maturity and it's ridiculously hard or we can go back to infancy and say no this is too hard or or maybe we go back to infancy and we say look i want to be in relationship with you god but i just want to stay here this is this is easy and i don't think i can do that mature thing, God. See, in this light, sin is incompleteness. But the Father calls him out of his infancy into sonship. That's what he wants to do with you and me. 
It's as if God's saying to the boy, he's saying, no, 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 son. Look, have this ring. Have this cloak. Have these sandals. Make decisions on this farm. You've got an authority. Grow up. Come on. Like, you can do this. Become complete. Let this make you. Grow in maturity, son. I see the value in your life. I see what you can be. And he's saying that to all of us. What is the goal of all ministries is to grow in maturity, to grow in completion. We're trying to reconcile man with God. We're to meet people where they are, but we're not to leave them there. Nor are we to relate to them that they regress back into dependency. And I always, as I've like grown and studied and, and done other courses about spiritual mentoring and, and stuff, I've realised that when I meet with people, I want to ask them great questions. I don't want to just tell them stuff and blabber from here. I want to ask them, what do you think? What do you believe? What, what's God speaking to you? So I want, I want people to grow maturity to think for themselves and, and I want to encourage them and add value to their lives. We don't want people to regress back into dependency by just giving people answers and most of the time we probably don't even know the answers ourselves. But we're to see unrealised potential in people. We're to value them. As much as I have to humble myself when I hear this and it gives me a little sting, but there's nothing better than some, what someone can say to me is, man, you've really grown. <laughs> it's like getting the, what's the, like in soccer you get, you know, most improved. And you're like, well, what was I at the start? You know what I mean? Was I that crap that I'm now improved? Like, it's kind of like that thing, you think, oh, you've really grown and you're like, oh man, I don't want to think about what I was. But, but then you, the more I think about it, it's honestly the most honoured I can be and the best thing someone can say to me. And, then, and as I've gone through the last few weeks and stuff and, People have said that to me and they've said, you've really grown and I'm proud of you. And man, your, your preaching used to be umming and ahhing and, and I think, oh, embarrassed. But, but I love hearing you preach now. And, and that's like that means so much to me because that means I'm like, thank you God, I'm growing in maturity. And So look for those things in people that you see where they're growing because it adds value to their lives. And yeah, but it's the best thing someone can say to you that you're growing. So what is the goal of ministry? What are we doing? It's God is intent on completing what he has started. We're not to be dismayed with incompleteness. What he is doing is through process and journey. You know, and as Winnie the Pooh would say, life is a journey to be experienced, not a problem to be solved. That's Luke. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Heresy. So I'm hoping I'm finished gonna finish here. I'm hoping that this week, right, you'll be looking at at people in your work, at school, as you garden, as you drive, you'll be looking at people and seeing that they are valued by God and that you'll be seeing yourself as valued by God. You want to reconcile this person where their sin has, has separated them, has made them incomplete, that you reconcile man to God, that you see value in the people before your eyes, whether they're whatever age or sex or sexual orientation or job or whatever it is that you can see the value in their life because God has declared them value, valuable. Now hopefully this week you'll be looking for opportunities to give the gift of love, not need love, but gift love. And I hope that you can be encouraged that God is at work in your life 
He's doing something, trust me, he's doing something and he's working through a process. And that he's doing something in the lives that you serve and that you love. And also pray that we can continue to grow in maturity together. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, for who you are, God. I thank you that we can look to your nature. We can look to the Godhead. We can look to, to you to find answers, God, of how we, we live our lives. We thank you, God, that you value us, Lord, through nothing of our own, but that because you declare us valuable through your son, Jesus. Lord, we look to the cross and we thank you for the cross. Without the cross, we're nothing. And we just kneel at it and we just we thank you, God, we thank you. Lord, please help us to grow in maturity, God. And, and we understand that we grow in maturity often in the most hardest parts of our lives. It's so difficult, God, so we need your spirit. Keep us patient, God, and loving and gracious, Lord. Hold us close, God. Pull us in. Keep us near to you, God. We need you so much. Lord, and help us to, to grow in fullness, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, God. Help us not to, to waste energy on, on things that aren't of you, God, that just drain us, Lord. Help us to grow in love and grace so that when we minister, that we can do it out of a fullness of what you're doing in our lives, that we don't do it out of need. And I just pray for the, this people, this people of God in front of me, Lord. I just pray that you keep them, God. You bless them, Lord. You, you do help them to grow in maturity, Lord. I thank you that you love them and that you value them so much. And I pray tonight that if there's anyone sitting here that doesn't feel valued, that they think they're it's worth as much as the melted down metal, God, that, that you show them that they are declared valuable by you simply because you declare it and that you want to be in relationship with them and tell them for the rest of their life how much you value them. And I pray that this message moves us to love people and serve people more and help bring your kingdom on earth and reconcile people to you.